the Blast from Our Past Network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Hardware, stars Dylan McDermott, Stacey Travis, and John Lynch. Welcome to another fucking awesome episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And this week we are talking about hardware. Come on, hardware. <laughs> so this uh, this movie came out in 1990. Um, it was directed by Richard Stanley. Now, you are you know him, though, don't oh, you? Oh, I know him very well. <laughs> so Zach and I watched a documentary, what, about four years ago now, three years ago, on his botched making of The Island of Dr. Moreau. And the the documentary, what the hell was it called? Do you remember? Yeah, the documentary, uh, which is phenomenal, and I believe it is on, uh, it is on Netflix, and it's called Lost Soul: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Doc Island of Doctor Moreau. And if whoever's listening to this right now, you should definitely watch that. Uh, maybe even watch it prior to watching Hardware if you've I, never seen Hardware. Yeah, I agree. It was you get an insight into the director. And it was much more interesting than the actual Island of Dr. Moreau movie to begin with. It's fascinating. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And this director is Crazy Train's Banana Pants. Yeah, I think... In a good way. In a good way. I, I love him, personally. I, I, I think... <laughs> yeah, and Richard Stanley is a really interesting dude because he made the movie Dust Devil. Have you seen... Have you I seen have it? never seen that before. Uh, it came out two years after Hardware. Did you see it? I did. Uh, I owned the DVD that had like five different versions on it of this movie. I only think I watched one of them. Um, And Chelsea Fields from uh, Masters of the Universe. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Um, But I didn't, I saw it before I saw Hardware. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Because working at a video store, well, being a teenager, growing up, going to the video store all the time, I remember seeing Dust Devil. The box was really cool. And I rented that. Hadn't seen Hardware yet. Then I saw Hardware second because I really enjoyed Dust Devil. And it featured Robert Burke, which I know from uh, Robocop 3. He was the replacement Peter Weller in Robocop 3 because that movie was trash and Peter Weller wanted nothing to do with it, I assume. And he's also in a cool Stephen King movie that not a lot of people talk about called Thinner. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I remember that. I've never seen it, but I do remember him uh, in it. I always wanted to see Dust Devil because I remember seeing pictures of it in Fangoria. I was already a fan of hardware at the time, but it was one of those things I never got around to seeing it. And I think it was on Netflix or something right around the time where you and I watched that island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. And so I go, okay, I want to watch Dust Devil. Man, that thing lost me in the first 10 minutes. I was like, I want to to watch it. I want to enjoy it, but maybe I just wasn't in the right mindset. Is it worth a a viewing, though? Yeah, well, again, I watched it back when I first saw Hardware around that time, 92, 93. And at the time, I liked it. But as we know, revisionist history, going back on it, maybe it's not as good as I remember it to be. Um, he's Richard Stanley reminds me a lot of that director Jodorowsky who did um, 
El well, Topo. And he, he tried to make that Dune. Dune yeah. And that another documentary that's great about a movie that never got made was Jodorowsky's right. Dune documentary. Yeah, that, and, and I, think, I think Richard Stanley, you could easily say that he's an influence on him as a director because this movie has a lot of very similar vibe to it, Hardware and Dust Devil, where it's very slow pacing at times, and you're thinking, okay, how long is this shot going to go on for? And a lot of, like, experimental imagery yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Okay, I, I do want to watch Dust Devil. And one final note, this is not the Dust Devil episode of Podcasting <laughs> After Dark, but one final note about Dust Devil. I was watching the documentary on of Hardware on the Blu-ray, the, the Severn Films uh, Blu-ray, and which I think you can pick up for like ten bucks on on Amazon. It's so worth it because it has some really good documentaries. But Richard Stanley talks about the whole idea of hardware came from a dream that he had when he was like twelve years old about this guy walking through the desert, which is what you see at the beginning of hardware and the end of hardware. That scavenger character, and I feel like that character was a spiritual successor to Dust Devil. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But Dust Devil was a supernatural thing, wasn't it? Yes, but but. But some might say that this character was a supernatural character. Right. Kane kind of comes color. out of the, the desert and, you know, like a storm's following him sort of thing. Yeah, and he's got those uh, mutated kind of green glowing eyes. And right. And you think, okay, is that just the toxic waste <laughs> or is that the fact that he's an otherworldly being? Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I do want to watch Dust Devil. All right. Let's let's get back on course. Back on hardware. You're I'm, you're probably like I want to keep talking about Dust Devil because fuck hardware. I mean, the name itself is awesome. Hardware's yeah. you know great too, but sure in name. <laughs> we Zach and I talked obviously a little bit going into this uh, this morning about our thoughts on it, but we're keeping most of it on the podcast. I just I know that uh, he wasn't as excited about it afterwards as I was. So. I'm chomping at the bit, <laughs> wanting to talk about all the things that I noticed in this movie. All right, so real quick, we'll just knock out the top leads real quick. Um, you know, we have we have Dylan McDermott. Which uh, you guys all know from what was that show, Private Practice, or no, The Practice, sorry. Not to be confused with Dermot Mulroney. Exactly. Both (laughs) equally uh, fantastic actors, in my opinion. And and both equally handsome. Yes, and both (laughs) brown-haired kind of... Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. No. We all we all know the Dermot Maroney, Dylan McDermott uh, hole of madness that <laughs> spiral. Uh, but he he plays Mo slash Moses slash Max in this, which I don't know what where the Max comes from, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, and then we have Stacy Travis as Jill. I know her from an episode of Seinfeld. And that's kind of, of pretty much do. it. Because what's that podcast that you do? Uh, Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. It's on the same network as ours. <laughs> Good one, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> and then uh, John Lynch John Lynch as Shades. And I didn't really know that I knew him until I saw uh, his IMDb. He was just on this show that I watched uh, called The Terror on AMC. Oh, I've heard about that. It's really fucking good. Okay. Uh, it's a miniseries. Yeah. So you should definitely check it out. Um, but he was on there. Cool. and. But I didn't know it at the time when I was watching it, so I wish I had. Well, but... this movie again is thirty years old. Thirty years old. Wow, wow. We're old. We wow. <laughs> that was deep, buddy. <laughs> but I, I keep when the minute I see John Lynch, and I'm sure once I plant this in your head, it's not going to be able to come out. Oh, um, do you know him from somewhere? No, no. Oh. But it's, the minute I saw him on screen, I thought, oh, he looks just like Adrian Brody. He does. He does look like a 1990s Adrian Brody. Yeah. <laughs> 
Whatever happened to Adrian Brody, by the way? <laughs> and he looks like a mutual friend of ours that we have. Mark, I thought. Mark Fong, if you're listening, that's a shout out to you. <laughs> yeah, dude. Outside Texas, Zach, I was like, doesn't this look like Mark a little bit? It, it's that <laughs> schnoz. I, I, I think it was, it was the glasses, the big thick-rimmed yes. glasses. <laughs> Uh, and then, oh, and a couple of secondary characters that we will get into when they sort of pop up that are actually actually a little bit more exciting than the than the main characters. So <laughs> let's let's dig into this. Let's do it. We both have a lot to say. Oh, and, we do. And you know, we're already almost ten minutes in. And uh, so, as usual, and this is only our third episode, so we don't really have a usual yet. But real quick, when was the last time you've seen this movie, and what was like? What's your experience with this movie? Okay, so. Um, 90, between 90 and 92, when this movie and Dust Devil came out, uh, that's when I saw it. So I had to be like 16 or 17 at the time. And I remember specifically, I was really big into Fangoria at that point, independent of my brother, and uh, who was five years older and was always kind of choosing the horror films to come home with. And I remember going to the video store and exhausting the horror library. And so to the point where I'm like, Whatever new releases out, that's the one I'm going to get. And I think my video store happened to get hardware later on. So when they got it, uh, I had seen pictures from Fangoria, rented it, thought it was amazing when I saw it at the time. And that's no, my experience I, with it. I felt that shade. I saw that shade you just threw. I ain't gonna give, I'm not going to give you nothing for that. Oh, I'll give it. You're going to take it. Uh, like you, buddy, um, Fangoria introduced me to this. I was a subscriber as a kid growing up, and uh, honestly, they, they introduced me to a lot of movies, truthfully. Yeah, Gorezone, I think, also was still around at the time. Okay. And I might have been in that one first. Okay. Because once they get into the gore, finally, into the third act of the movie, that, it really grosses it up. Yeah, it's it's a very gory movie. The the scene that sold me in Fangoria was the guy getting cut in half, and they had a picture of that. Uh, I didn't get Gore Zone as a kid, and I didn't graduate to Rue Morgue until much, much later when I was older. Uh, I think Rue Morgue was fantastic. Rue Morgue was, I feel like that was late 90s, early 1000s. Yeah, and I don't think I started dabbling in Rue Morgue until like the 2000, early you know thousands or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... I used to watch this a shit ton with uh, a buddy of mine, Luke. Uh, we both loved hardware as a kid growing up. And uh, later on, I met this uh, other friend of mine, Tim. Uh, his dad is was one of the owners of the video store that I worked at. And, you know, we were kind of friends, but then we discovered that we both loved this movie as well. So I actually just texted him today. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. And I texted him today. I was like, bro, I just watched Hardware, man. I fucking loved it. He's like, love that movie, bro. <laughs> and then, you know, so it was just nice that I kind of reconnected with him over, over Hardware. That's cool. Um, but as a kid, I loved it. Um, and... Yeah, well, I love it now too. So, well, this this film has a a uh, really big cult following because every time you throw it out there to, to horror purists, they go, "Oh, hardware's so great!" Yeah, and I I think a lot of that has to do with the cinematography of it, truthfully. But we'll we'll get into that. Um, so at this at the start at the top, we get the worst title card I've ever seen for hard, for the movie Hardware, dude. It's e- fitting. Yeah, every. <laughs> Every poster that I've seen, yeah. the DVD cover, yeah. all have better title cards than the one they actually used. Oh, I think that's the the video box is what drew me into it because it's so cool looking with the green neon right. and the cool 
uh, Dermot Mulroney or Dylan McDillon. <laughs> here we go. Hey, here it's we go. Starting. It, the, the rabbit hole has <laughs> begun. I told you, dude. Dylan, Dylan McDermott's face uh, with a target on it. It was almost a little <clears throat> bit Terminator-esque. But oh, yeah. different, but different enough to to sort of stand out as well, far as the cover goes. Yeah, and and there is an obvious uh, Terminator influence. And to this I'm film. sorry, I don't mean Terminator, I meant Predator uh, with the whole color. Oh yeah, yeah, because that had, it kind of had that green, right? The cover has that like that green yeah. look. Yeah, but I would say I would and in the infrared shout out in the right. movie, I would say that this has definite influences of Predator and Terminator. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So, no flesh shall be spared, Mark 13. The interesting about that is, according to the documentary, and according straight out of Richard Stanley's mouth, is that he named the the monster, or the robot, it was just called the Mark 13, just meant that it was an unlucky number, there was 12 marks before it, that was it. But apparently, Dylan McDermott was actually kind of religious at the time and he was he actually put this together and he came back to richard stanley and said hey look in you know mark chapter 13 read what it says here no flesh shall be spared and that and richard stanley's like that he he says on the documentary that should have been our tagline for the movie like but but dylan mcdermott was the one that brought that forward that's really cool i didn't know that and that makes that's awesome like that actually makes me have more respect for the movie overall the fact that it came out of that because because when i saw that i thought all right like that's kind of cool makes sense but as the movie develops you go oh this is the whole point of this creature and and the irony is that they developed the movie just gave it the name mark 13 and dylan mcdermott kind of came brought it back around to that so it's it's very serendipitous because uh the director's meaning behind mark 13 makes sense too yeah 13 marks unlucky blah 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 yeah and, you know, he also talks in the documentary about how all the iconography, it's its very, um, you know, uh, shoot, the Indian god Kali yes. with all the arms and everything, That's which the is the, god. Yeah, okay. the god of death and rebirth. Um, and then the final thing I, I think of interest, and I don't know where to put this in the podcast, so I'm just putting it up at the top, is that the... The paint job she's supposed to put on its face that looks like the flag, he's, he, it's not supposed to be the American flag at first. It was supposed to be uh, nighttime and daytime, and then the rays on the side were supposed to be like sun rays. Oh. But they literally, basically, they took a step back, and they were like, oh, okay, well, this works too. <laughs> but yeah. it was not intended to be the American flag. It's where you see the stars are sort of like, not they're haphazard because they're not supposed to be the stars and stripes spangled banner. Yeah, because that's all I see. Yeah, I know. Now, uh, or when I when I watched it, but now that you describe the rays of the sun, like kind of that Japanese it's, influence. It was supposed to be more of a Japanese influence because she has that, she kind of wears that ge- uh, that uh, geisha. What is that called? The, um, the robe? Yeah, like. The kamino. Uh, kim- kimono. Kimono. Kimono is a planet in Star Wars. It's also a sweet car, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh we'll get back on track here. So, we start with an opening shot of the wasteland. And basically this scavenger guy uh which you know, we know is Richard Stanley's sort of totem character uh in his life, uh stumbles across this head in buried in the sand in the wastelands and and you know a couple pieces of this robot like an arm and everything. So he comes across that and 
all he does is just, you know, he takes it, he picks it up, and he puts it in his bag. And that's all we know from the beginning. But from right there, we see that the world is a pretty, pretty shit-ass place. Yeah, everything and, looks hazier than a Los Angeles summer afternoon. In August. Yes. In, peak, <laughs> in August. Peak Ugh. nastiness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, it's, it's really post-apocalyptic. Every movie at this time uh, that was in, the, in that genre looks the same to me. All that they all use the exact same yellow filter. This looked like this uh, was a little bit more pronounced, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. This reminded me of like Doll Man, yeah, um, by Albert Pune. And uh, th- yeah, there's this filter on it. But again, I think I, I when I started watching, going, starting to pick apart the the low budgetness of it, I thought it started to remind myself. Wait, this was his first movie. So there's this low budget quality that I started recognizing early on in the movie because I didn't I wanted to go into this as uh, open as possible, and when I started realizing okay this is really low budget, and recognizing that it's his first movie, I started giving him a little more credit. Okay, that's a cool shot. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I low budgetness like, aside, it was all good. Yeah, I feel like he does some stuff with this, and um, I, I I don't know what's the cinematographer versus what is him. Um, but he does some interesting stuff with the budget that he has, truthfully. Yeah, I was just I was thinking about how um, they 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 do a lot of shots of like toxic waste fa- waste facilities, which actually look like Long Beach to me. Yeah, it, did, uh, it definitely like thinking, did. Wait, did he shoot this <laughs> in Long Beach? Because that's disturbing. Because yeah. it's not too far from where we live. Um, but that kind of similar shot over and over again, and then cutting to those interior shots that you know. Definitely Blade Runner inspired, I'd say. Oh yeah, yeah. And Doll Man. Yeah, I need, I need to watch. I've seen Doll Man. I assume it's going to be on our list. Oh, at some it's point. on our list. Okay, I think cool. they came out the same year. Cool. Um, so then we cut to back to the city, away from this sort of scavenger character, and we uh, have this uh, DJ talking, basically kind of giving us the idea of what the world's like. Uh, Angry Bob, the man with the industrial dick, is his thing. Now you know that was Iggy Pop, right? Okay. I did know that was Iggy Pop pretty much before I had to look it up. I'm like, I know this voice for somewhere. Where do I know this from? Knowing it now, it's so legit. It's so cool that he got Iggy Pop to be a character in the movie. And we also see Lemmy, too. Well, yeah, and then you see Lemmy from Motorhead being the, the boatsman. So apparently the producer, she had done some uh, rock and roll like documentaries, so she had a good relationship with Iggy Pop and, and Lemmy. Uh, and apparently, according to the documentary, Lemmy dropped the gun that he was carrying into the Thames, and they had to fish it out. And he's all, oh, it was very embarrassing. Oh, shit. <laughs> because he did it by accident because he was sitting on that, uh, that little raft thingy. Of course, Lemmy. Uh, but yeah, we'll get to that in one second, guys. I apologize for all over the place on this one. I'll try to keep no, it a little actually, bit. No, <laughs> we're actually, we're just deviating slightly. I think the, I think the, our fans can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I think they can keep up. Uh, so now we are basically introduced to Shades and Moses. And they're kind of like walking through this shitty-ass part of town. You don't really know if, like, this is the docks and everything. You don't really know if this is what the entire city looks like or just this one part of it. But I think we can kind of assume that most of it looks like this, yeah. especially later on when he gets to Jill's apartment. It's sort of similar. So it's just a complete shithole. You know, it's it's shanty towns everywhere. People are kind of just hanging out. So he's doing a lot of world building where we live in a world where 
you know, it's just there's been a, a nuclear war, but there's still government, so it's not like completely lawless or anything like that. But cities like New York are apparently uninhabitable, and Shades is kind of talking to Mo. He's like, look, you know, we should go to New York. We can scavenge wherever the hell we want. No one's going in there because they're making their money on just being like a scavenger, I guess like side money, yes. essentially. Because uh, you find out Shades, he's an astronaut. Um, although he has a limp, so I'm kind of thinking that he used to be an astronaut, but he's probably not anymore. Yeah, interesting character choices early on that are not necessarily explained. Yeah, which I like because okay. it kind of gives you like you, you start piecing things together and trying to figure them out. Um, yeah, I, I mean that can be misconstrued. I think sometimes is is like lazy storytelling where they're like, we'll just kind of throw this in there and then go where, where we'll see what happens. Or that could be intentional. Like, well, yeah, I want the audience to decide. On how this character is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it depends on how you want to look at it. Because it's like, what is world building and, and past like history building versus just being a bad screenwriter and not telling you yeah. about that? Oh, I should explain that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the idea right now is the world's a shitty place that, yes. that these characters are li- inhabiting. Uh, it doesn't really say what year it is. No. But it's, it's in the future. Definitely set in the future. Yeah. And the world is overpopulated. And basically, it's just a shithole. So uh, Shades and Moses are, they're basically going in to sell some junk that Moses has, uh, sell it to Alvi, uh, who's basically a, a little person. And he owns this little scavenger shop, like a metal shop type of thing where he just buys junk and stuff. But he looks a, more, a little bit more technologically savvy. So it's like high tech junk. Yeah. Uh, and now Alvi is played by Burglecut from Willow, which I forgot to bring up his name before I mentioned that. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, Who's a, who, who is great, by the way. Like, the minute you, rec- the minute you see him come on screen, well, I want to backtrack for one moment and talk about the shot that, uh, of them going down the hallway because mm-hmm. they reused that shot later on in the movie. It's a really beautiful shot where that was, for me, watching this movie up to this point going, oh, okay, that was artistic. Right. And I think there's a few. There's a few gems oh, sure. in, in here, especially based on their salary. Yeah. Um, that was, it's uh, Mark Northover. And he played Burglecut in uh, Willow. That's where I know him from personally. Great which movie, is, great character. He was the one that got shat on by the big bird or whatever. <laughs> <Yes. you know? laughs> I liked him. He was he was cool. He was like the mayor of Willow City Village that he lived in. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, or, or the Mister Busybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the wizard guy made him go on the adventure too. Exactly. Yeah, that was funny. So they're talking to Alvy, and he has to go like in the back of a shop to get something. And uh, the scavenger that we see at in the opening, he comes in, really cool shot, like you said, oh, yeah. backlit. Um, and then when he takes his goggles off, there's this really very old school, like uh, film noir shot of where everything's in shadow, but the the ray of light that's over his eyes, so you can just see his eyes, and he looks just crazy. But you never actually see his face. No, that was really cool too, because he. Well, first of all, he looks like Richard Stanley. Uh, yeah, he's with his hat and his mm-hmm. hair and he's got these weird like talisman things hanging from his neck. And it, it, it reminded me of the um, the eyes in the movie The Keep. Uh, Scott Glenn, when he becomes kind of possessed, he's got these weird kind of okay. creepy looking eyes. Very like similar to, to that. It reminded me of that anyways. And I remember when they when you see that shot and you're thinking, OK, and at first I thought, oh, is that Dylan McDermott's character in the beginning? And then when you realize it's not I'm like, oh, okay, who's this guy? Yeah, and they don't go anywhere really with it. He's just 
he's really just Richard Stanley's totem, I believe. And and like you said, and if you guys watch that Island of Dr. Moreau doc- documentary, yeah, Richard Stanley's known for always wearing like the same kind of cowboy hat and he's got the long hair and he's really big into like shaman stuff and I, I believe magical type of stuff. Uh, magic with a K, not Magic the Gathering. <laughs> and I think, because I think his mom was an illustrator and like a, a spiritualist oh, or yeah. something. Yeah. He's so, super into that stuff. Yeah, he's super into that kind of stuff which was why i really dig him as a as a a one-time auteur (laughs) if you will (laughs) yeah i i um i appreciate the fact that he threw all these things in there the the character i'm just spitballing right now but he uh it's like the narrator of heavy metal where he just plants the seed and then goes voila magic (laughs) like doug henning Exactly. Doug Henning. <laughs> uh, so Moses buys the hand and the head from the scavenger for like 50 credits. And then uh, a burgle cut, oh, I'm sorry, Alvy comes back out and, you know, he's like, I'll give you 10 credits for it. No, no, I'm going to give these to Jill. He's going to give these to his girlfriend because it's Christmas. And he says, you would know because you were once an elf to Alvy. <laughs> oh, it's really messed up. <laughs> it is. But the, the, the coup de gras was... Uh, uh, oh shoot! He says, um, "He goes uh, ten C's is the highest I can go." Alvy says, and he goes, "Yep, Alvy, you're as high as you're ever gonna go." Yeah, that's a pretty brutal scene. <laughs> but he took it in stride. He goes, "Hey, Alvy says I can't help it if my mom took a, a dose of radiation during the big one." Which <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. And so far, we've been introduced to four characters, and I'd say all of them are pretty interesting. Yeah, Max, Mo, Moses, Milwaukee, German, Dylan McDermott. Uh, Dylan dog he uh is like very snarky and kind of has like this New York uh, accent a little bit and so immediately he looks like he looks like the hero right but he's kind of a dirty anti-hero with this big glove on his hand right and the, glove, or, yeah. well no it's a yeah cybernetic hand which I thought was cool and then shades ha- is some kind of like I don't know, like his weird Zen kind of like druggy, you know, he's like doing LSD and stuff, yeah. but he's kind of more like Zenned out and everything. And he, at the beginning of this, he calls Mo, Mo Max. All right, so Dylan McDermott's name in the movie is Moses, or Mo for short. So that's the progression there. But then um, Shades I, once or twice calls him Max, and he goes, yeah. don't call me that. And I don't know where that comes from. It, it's never explained again. I don't know if Max was is Moses's real first name. He just changed it to Moses. I don't know, but I, I that one I find to be the bad writing that you're talking about. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I I hate to be like such a negative Nancy, but uh, uh, that's an odd term by the way, negative Nancy. Anyways, <laughs> um, it, it, the, the, this, just the fact that like. I chalk it up with bad writing. I keep thinking, okay, they're, they're like planning all these things and they're just dropping them and forgetting them. But it's if I always go with the Carpenter idea where at the end of every Carpenter movie, it's kind of left up to the audience to say, you decide what happens next. Well, okay, maybe he planted these things in for you to figure out, for you to kind of fantasize and, oh, this character's build your own 
choose your own adventure. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's the way I'm choosing to look at it, so I appreciate you uh, throwing me the ball on that one. You're, I will now slam dunk it in my brain. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, and uh, all right, so now we cut to Jill's apartment, and we're just meeting her, and she's waking up to an alarm clock, although she's like meditating. She was meditating. She was waking up essentially from her meditation position, so you can. she fell asleep while she was meditating. But... You see that the technology in this world is big and clunky. Like the computers are massive, but they're still, they're still like 1990s computers, but they're all these kind of extra bits to them and everything. It almost looks like they're like growing in a corner, just kind of like fusing themselves with the wall. And I got to take, I got to take it that it was probably Richard Stanley's like direction to make them look specifically the way they did. Yeah. It's, it's very, um, uh, throw a bunch of cords and make it look all, you know, bigger than it actually is because I think, uh, the majority of this film takes place in her apartment Yeah, and it's, I think a lot smaller than it's supposed to be because of the set that they used. It all kind of feels like one like mini soundstage, right? You know, which I, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. They shot it on some weird soundstage. It used to be a like a railroad train place uh, thing, so it's kind of. It, they said it worked well for them, but it's you. You mentioned that it's very much a one location movie or almost a one location yeah. movie, and I don't know why, but I have an affinity for one location movies. And it could be anything from Twelve Angry Men. They're just in you know in the room the whole time yeah. to uh, to this. I love one location. Don't yeah. know why. I just I again with the, it being a low budget film and oh yeah, per, works perfect for the budget for sure. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's I'm just saying for me personally, I don't know why I love one locations. Yeah, and uh, I will say with the look of this film, the the the. The, the the little details were great, like the cigarettes that she's smoking. Um, I forget the name of them now, but uh, it was like Easy Breeze or something like that. Or, yeah, or yeah, Feel Good Vibes. Feel Good Vibes. Yeah, yeah Feel Good Vibes cigarettes was, was awesome that they created that. She was drinking this god-awfully disgusting-looking tea. Oh, and then she had, like, they actually made a bunch of, of art for, like, milk cartons in there, but it was called, like, synth milk or something. Yeah, synth milk, and I wrote it down because there's a close-up of it later in the movie. Uh, oh, uh, lactoplasm. Lactoplasm. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, that sounds so gross. I think synth milk could be the name of a, of a, of a band. <laughs> yeah, you really probably could. <laughs> Especially right now. All that stuff's so popular. A synth wave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, synth milk. But that, I think that is one thing that I, I gravitated towards in this movie is even with its budget, it did a damn good job world building with what it could do. Even so far as to creating a whole new milk carton and creating a whole new cigarette carton. Like they could have just used Marlboro. They could have just done what other people do, but they, yeah. the art department actually went out and, and created some of this stuff. And I think those are the little touches that elevate this movie oh, for, for sure. me. Yeah. Um, and so in this scene, you're also meeting a bunch of uh, side characters. Uh, someone uh, rings her door and, you know, she, you find out that it's this creep or you don't see him yet, but you, she knows that it's this creeps coming around. So she rings up the security guards for the building, uh, which is uh, these two, these guys, uh, Vernon and chief. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of silly. They're kind of like whatever, but they're, they're security guards. You know, there and she's, you know, reaming him out saying, Oh, I'm getting a package delivered to let him in. So, you know, that she's living in this 
you don't know the extent of it, but it is kind of like a fortress. Yeah, the the the, the it reminded me a little bit of in Judge Dread, yeah, the hotel that Mama uh, operates out of. Yeah, where the ground floor is just a shithole, right? And there's people everywhere, and I think even Mo Max McDermott says that <laughs> Mo uh, Max McDermott. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm calling him for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Mo Max McDermott uh, starts saying, you know how. Depressing, or I forget the actual things he says, but something to the effect that it's this place is a dump, or used to be nicer, like chopping up all this meat and flesh everywhere, and um, yeah, because Shades, it's later on, but Shades says someone basically drove a car through the front door or you know front wall, and and now everyone just comes in there because it's they're so over this world is so overpopulated that there's just no space you know for anything, Um, and uh, yeah, and you get this sense that. She's kind of like this, you know, flower in the middle of shit, and everyone is into her in some way, shape, or form. And I mean that, like, even Vernon and Chief are into her that they care about her, you know. And even Shades, you know, he might have a crush on her. It might be platonic, you know, but he cares about her. Uh, this monster wants her. You know, everyone downstairs is trying to get in, and she's just in her little apartment that she rarely leaves because, you know, as far as we've seen and will ever see, she's the most beautiful woman in the area. Yeah. So it's kind of has is it has this like a little rumple stiltskin vibe, right? No, not rumple. Um, shoot, uh, tangled. What was the original? Rapunzel, Rapunzel. Yeah. has a little bit of a Rapunzel vibe, right? Where she's like kind of stuck up in this tower. Yeah, because it is a fortress, fortress of solitude, right? If you will, <laughs> and where it's highly secure, and 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 the door is like you know twelve inches thick, which will come back into play later. Yes, it will. And it's on hydraulic, like it's it's like a blast door essentially. It's an airlock blast door. The nineties loved hydraulic blast doors. Oh, I love hydraulic. Deep blast Star doors. Six, Aliens, and Hardware. Oh man, we're gonna I watch think Leviathan too, but we're gonna watch Deep Star Six at some point. Oh on yeah, this. that's kind sweet. Of, we have to. <laughs> yeah, but no, she's stuck in this. That's a great uh, comparison to for Rapunzel because it's similar. And one again can go with, uh, and it's not named in the in the movie, but one can go with possibly saying, well, maybe she's the only woman on Earth. Right. Or, uh, uh, you know, in this area, anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. At least at all, like, well, we know that's not true because they're her downstairs neighbors. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, no, there's right. also this idea that, uh, you know, fertility, too, is happening. Like, there's this underlying, like, theme that's happening in this movie about fertility. Now, they the, the, the government wants to curb... Uh, growth like wants to curb procreation but at the same time people are procreating with like bad genes so like there's all kinds of like mutations happening yeah. so the, so people are still want to and, and i get the sense that she because she looks so pretty you get a sense that you know as humans we are we have learned through evolution that someone's looks their symmetry and everything dictates whether their genes are worthy of procreating with yeah and so i think her just being this beautiful flower in, in this apartment you know, and all just garbage around her. It's a it's a sex thing, and you know, it, even the machine tries to rape her later with yeah. the drill penis. I didn't realize that. I totally forgot about how how uh, pervertedly sexual this movie was. It is, and that's and none of that's like yeah, yeah. It is, it is, yeah. Uh, so we also find out about the emergency population control bill just got passed. So this is kind of like RoboCop, where there's like news stories in the background are kind of dictating or kind of informing us of what the world 
looks like. Yeah. And there's this through line that we keep hearing about it, this emergency population control bill. And later on you find out what exactly that means, but right now it's kind of like just a, a little a little hint of what what's to come. And uh, and so Jill's an artist too. We find out she's a she's an artist and she works, you know, she's like a metal artist. She creates work of art and everything and that she doesn't sell apparently. She yeah, just apparently lives she off of welfare. She lives off welfare. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then there's, uh, there's a lot of people like that today that are like, I don't yeah. want to sell this. It's too good. I know. You know what? You can't be precious about your art, man. You got to put it out there in the world. You got to make a living. (laughs) Uh, So then we cut back to Shades and Moses, um, Mo Max McDermott walking through the slums. And they they come across a, a cabbie on the the Thames, and uh, it's Motorhead. It's Lemmy. Oh yeah, yeah. So right. cool. It's such a great little uh, cameo. Yeah, I I never listened to any Motorhead growing up. Really? <laughs> the Ace of Spades. I know that song. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. And they, he does Triple H's theme song. Oh, oh did he really? Yeah. I am I am the game you don't want to play me. Yep. No, I love that theme song. Yeah. It's always my favorite. Yeah. Okay, well now this this movie just got more cool. R.I.P. Lemmy. <laughs> I know, right? He passed away last year, didn't he? Last year or the year before? Yeah. Oh man, yeah, I think no, it was, he's a legend. Like this fact, the fact that this has uh, a, an icon from the punk era in Iggy Pop and an icon from the metal area metal era in Lemmy from Motorhead, um, that already gives Richard Stanley some serious street cred. Yeah. In my opinion. Some rock and roll street cred. Yeah, hell yeah. All right, so after the cab ride with Lemmy, we get to uh, Jill's apartment complex, and we, we kind of get some dialogue dialogue between Moses and Shades. You find out that Shades was uh, or is an astronaut. Yeah. Um, or maybe like a – like I, I took it as he might be like a – like a, a gunner pilot. I, I don't really picture him flying, but I think he's maybe the gunner on like a, a space attack vessel. That's kind of what the, um, I was getting. Yeah, it's loose. Yeah, especially <laughs> since, well, he was, he does wear like military, uh, underneath his jacket. He is wearing like a military flight suit. He does, yeah. And, yeah. and, and knowing that Mo is like Marine Corps, maybe they met, like maybe he's the dropship pilot or something like that. Yeah, they have, they're, 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 they're bros. They're bros. Right. They're bros. And I think this is also where you find out that, that Mo's in, in the military. Yeah. And, um, and then they also talk about, uh, you know, he, since he's been gone so long, Mo's has been gone so long, he's like, what happened to, you know, the lobby of Jill's apartment complex. And that's when shade says someone drove their car through it. And yeah. now just everyone's in there and they turn it into a damn market. Yeah. It looks like a market hellhole market. Yeah. this shitty ass place. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, did you notice that weird exchange Moses and Shades had when Moses was like telling him to keep an eye on her when he's not around? Yeah, uh, and he's like, I do, you know, he like yeah, he's, he's got so such weird reactions. Shades is really weird. Yeah, he's weird. He's spazzy. I know people like this, unfortunately. So they're just like too drugged out of the, of his mind, maybe. And, and is that what it is? Because yeah. when I saw this as a kid. Uh, I didn't know kind of what he was doing. I didn't know that was acid. Now I understand that that little tab he takes later, yeah. that's acid. It's an but interesting it, choice, though. Like, I, I don't know, acting choice for him to be so... But he's strung out. Like, that's supposed to be like he's just burnt out, basically, right? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think that, 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 that's what I gather after piecing it together. And maybe it co- coincides with his limp. Maybe he's out on disability, you know? And oh, yeah. Yeah, and man, you were like feeding this thing major <laughs> quarters right now. It was like, game I over. Care. It was at the time. It's like three seconds left in the video game. You're pumping like four quarters <laughs> yeah, in there. I'm going to play dude. one more round. Just like Ninja Gaiden, I'm watching that buzzsaw come down. <laughs> I can pass this level. I, I know it. it. I can do it. <laughs> 
Uh, and then, uh, so Jill, we, we, you know, um, Moses and Shades, they get up to Jill's apartment and, you know, Mo gives Jill the head and then Shades kind of goes and does his little, you know, kind of leaves, you know, and then Mo and Jill. Go now. Yeah. Cause he's the third wheel at yeah. that point. It's weird. Cause yeah. Doesn't he kind of back out the door? A he kind of slowly, yeah, slowly yeah. walks out almost like he wasn't meant to be in the shot. <laughs> You're like. Okay. So no, see, I like that as a character late. choice. He, the, the camera stayed on, on them, and he kind of had to just make his way out. Sometimes life is awkward, baby. Sometimes. I mean, it, well, I think that's the, where it's borderline. There's a lot of uh, intentional or unintentional humor, because I'm like, where's he going? <laughs> he's, he's okay. So, because Dylan McDermott dog has been, like, you know, gone for some time, and he's bringing him back. And there's so... And the minute he senses like some romanticism, then he's like, Ooh, I better get out of here. Well, I mean, he's being a good bro, man. Yeah. He, why does he want a cock block? Why does he want to be a third wheel, dude? <laughs> Shade's going to get out of there and do, go do acid. It's very funny scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we get a, a sex scene. and uh, Like a really long, just odd sex scene. It's really weird. I I liked it as a kid. Well, it's okay. So I must say, so, do you want to describe it? Do you want to set it up? Or? No, go for it, man. Do it. Because 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 you see, I'll just listen and enjoy. You see, Dylan McDermott dog in his uh, in the shower. Yeah, and with, you see his robot hand with his robot hand, which is super badass. And you're like, okay, this guy has a robot hand. That's cool. Uh, again, they don't really explain how he got it, but probably got who knows. I'll let Corey insert his awesome theory later. And uh, oh, actually, I know things from the documentary. So, oh, okay. so apparently, <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. So apparently, <laughs> I don't want to cut you off. You go keep talking. No, please. I okay. Know about this. So, okay. All right. <laughs> Guys, get the Blu-ray and watch the documentary. Uh, apparently, Moses was originally written to be just a straight-up strung-out loser, like piece of shit. And just a con man, not like he actually was not in the military. He or he was fired from the military and he lost his hand in an industrial accident. But he was supposed to be like skinny and strung out. And then he was like, oh, and then Dylan McDermott gets, you know, picked and he's like, oh, well, we can't make him a, a, you know, a druggie. He's too good looking. Yeah, he's too good looking. He's like the guy works out every day. He's chiseled. And uh, yeah, we just couldn't do it. He's got like a crew cut. So they kind of morphed him into this sort of has been military guy yeah and and i i think it works enough a, a little bit of it doesn't because it's almost like he's too pretty for it for it to be so grizzled like they put some weird like took a sharpie on his face and drew some like kind of kind of um weird ash or something uh to make him maybe look a little more weathered but once he gets in the shower he's like looking all clean cut and like trim and fit uh, but and that's where, to me, in my opinion, I'm like, I'm good. Yeah, it gets they're gonna have a beautiful romantic scene because they haven't seen each other in a while. Then it cuts to their boffing on the bed, and uh, or what did that guy say? That judge who was on trial, like you know, because all the stuff he allegedly didn't do. I don't keep up with uh, any 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 of the nightmare culture said that we boofing, live in. Boofing was like <laughs> farting. But we all know boofing probably means sex. And uh, yeah, they're boofing. And it's just, it goes on from, for me, I'm like, this goes on way too long. I don't think that a sex scene in a movie is ever way too long. <laughs> I don't know, but it wasn't sexy to me. I was like, this is not. I thought kid, she was hot. I liked her. Okay, cool. Yeah, do you, she wasn't your cup <laughs> of tea? She wasn't my cup of tea. Okay. I was like not into her and I was like not really into the scene. I, was just, I, was, I wasn't feeling it, yo. Yeah. And I, it sets up what's just about to happen in a minute, which is really disturbing and gross. But uh, but I was just wasn't feeling it. I was like, <laughs> okay, there's scenes already. Like some of these shots are, to me were just going on way too long. It's very, it's very voyeuristic, and I guess I okay that makes sense, and and who's about to watch them, but you know it's still 
kind of disturbing. And speaking of who's about to watch them, her gross-ass neighbor from, I guess, across the courtyard or something. Yeah. I don't know where he's watching her from because every time you see outside of her window, you see the skyline. Yeah. And then except for when she goes through the window, she's, like, hanging on a wire between buildings. So I guess he's just across the wind, the way and you kind of don't really see it directly on. Yeah, there's a little parapet they might share. Yeah. So he's he kind of watches her through the window and now you're, like, in his apartment and you see that he's using, like, a high-tech infrared, you know, a night vision goggle type of thing where he can actually see through the blinds a little bit uh the like these venetian blinds you can see the heat through it and yeah. he's just watching and he's jerking off and he is gross man he's so like gross. sweaty he's got a fucking like a, a burn herpy mark or something yeah. on his on his lip and as a kid and he's got a long fingernail and as a kid man i was always grossed out by him the whole time always grossed out by him and i'm sitting here watching him this time and I'm like man he's gross let me look him up no fucking idea my entire life until I'm 41 years old. He's Porkins in Star Wars. He was the fat rebel pilot that blows up in Star Wars. He was also Eckhart in uh, Batman, uh, Tim Burton's Batman, 1989 Batman. Oh, yeah, Batman. that's right. He, hey, Eckhart, think about the future, and he gets shot. Yeah, he's a really—the the, the guy, who, the actor is great. He's, yeah, he's a, he's a good—like, he's a— like I think he's like a like sort of a theater type actor, yeah. a British kind of guy. Oh, you, you know? can tell he's really sucking this role dry. Yeah. Like he's yeah. it's like it's so it's so I can't even repeat the stuff he says because it's so nasty. Right. So in, during this scene, he's like he's watching them, but he he he's also like narrating them uh, to himself, like oh yeah, you know, suck that dick dry. And he is super nasty about it. It is straight up like porn. it doesn't. He actually doesn't fit what they're doing though. I always was annoyed by that as well. I wish yeah. the actor actually had to watch the video because yeah. he's saying shit that doesn't actually happen. It doesn't happen, and it's and I think to me that's where I'm like, okay, it, 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 like you're just throwing this shit out there to be gross. It doesn't have it fit the scene at least, you know. Write him like a cowgirl, or I don't know, <laughs> you know. It's yeah. like you know, make it fit the scene if you're gonna go down that route. Then do that. And it just keeps going and he's so gross. And I'm like, okay, I know this is gonna I know this is gonna end soon, but and and it's like to me, all you gotta do is sprinkle the fact that he is just a nasty gross dude and then they like cut to the point where you can see his hand in his pants and he's diddling himself and it's so dis he's so disturbing he kind of reminds me of a boss i had when i worked at the video store <laughs> and no joke and oh, i was no. watching this and i'm like oh yeah this is unfortunately eerily similar to stuff i saw as a you know late teenager oh unfortunately well that's Okay, we're uh, we're unlocking some stuff here. <laughs> different now... strokes it takes different strokes to rule the world. <laughs> oh my! Uh, then we go back to Jill's apartment after the 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 sex, the love making. Yeah, there's a great line coming up. And you know, Mo says to her, "God, I love you," and she's half asleep, and she says, "So." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn. And then he gets all sort of butthurt and sort of rolls over. <laughs> rolls over in a fetal position. And, but 
Understood, understandably. Honestly, like, like they didn't have to put that scene in the movie, but it's a character moment, and I yeah. liked it. You see the vulnerability oh, in I Moses. Love that scene, yeah, it was it was a good scene. Yeah, and she didn't even mean it because then she wakes up and she's like Mo, and she rolls over and kind of cuddles with him. So it was more of like that was an insight into her subconscious, not into like what she actually wants, how she feels about Mo. Yeah, it's deep. And it was deep. That's why I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. You're giving yeah. it so much credit right now. I love it so much. You don't understand, bro. I well, love it so. Much. Much. You have to, you have to, you know, don't forget the fact that, that everything's kind of filmed in the same area. So you're like, okay, they're on this, this disgusting room, you know, and, and I love that she's an artist and she's like, I, you know, I don't sell my work because it's too important to me. And you're like, you know, you could really go with a mop at least clean that. I mean, honestly, like I've seen artists that live like that in downtown LA and they're not like dirty they're not like gross people it's just that's the artist loft you just have yeah. your art shit everywhere and you live by yourself and <laughs> yeah. it's just a very hermit i've seen them like i've seen people like that no they're very it, authentic yeah it, it yeah it jived with her personality i feel totally. especially since she's pretty much a hermit in that in that space <laughs> yes <laughs> um so then we go to now we flash to shades shades apartment and uh my note is shades a weird dude <laughs> apparently he's celebrating hanukkah too so he's basically this is when he's uh praying to uh Kali yes. I guess the the goddess of death or or whatever um and he's taking acid and, yep. uh how what what I didn't get any uh Jewish what did you say Well so so when they were with Alvi earlier and he wants to keep this helmet you know the robot helmet mm-hmm. And he says uh, Christmas is coming up. I yeah. Think. Well, so, yeah. At that point, now it's Christmas essentially. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, he's celebrating Hanukkah because it looked like he had all the uh, candles in the menorah. Lit. Oh, <laughs> I think that's a menorah that he has in front of him. Oh, in, I thought it was candles for the the Kali uh, thing, like more of like shrine candles. Yeah, no. But I, you could be right. It could be like a mixture of religions and denominations that he's kind of like praying to all of them. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that he had like this mixture of all these elements of spirituality seemed like a very spiritual dude right and and, and yeah. he would probably well honestly knowing uh the background of richard stanley and magic uh i think richard stanley so this was in the 90s chaos magic was big in the late 70s and the 80s it's kind of making a resurgence now but the idea behind chaos magic is is that you take anything and everything you want but you have to believe in it 100 percent. but you can use any doctrine you can use any dogma you want but you have to believe in that at the time so i wouldn't be surprised if he was like you know what this character shades he probably you know he probably maybe has a, a shades of that and no pun intended and he, he's praying to everything essentially while he does acid and trips balls yep. but i didn't even pick up on that on the possible hanukkah scenario mm-hmm. so i like that thank you sure. for, for the insight makes the movie even better <laughs> for you <laughs> We're an hour in, and I'm only on the second of six pages here. <laughs> All right, so now we cut then to Alvi's place, back to Alvi's shop, and he's starting to basically research the serial number that was on one of the hands that he kept that. So Moses kept one hand, and then he kept another, and then uh, I guess there was a third because then the creature has, the Mark 13 has two later. Yes. Um, so Alvi is researching what this thing is based on the hand. And you're starting to find out that it might not be a good thing because <laughs> you yeah. start seeing, like, you don't get the full rundown yet. You'll get it later. But yeah. you start seeing that it's, like, classified and this and that. Yeah, that, that's that's a cool scene because uh, the digital files that they show are that are popping up are really dope looking, like the, the, the schematics or whatever. And when I noticed when they first kind of closed in on the helmet or the, the 
the head of the robot, it reminded me a lot of uh, the Skeletor character in Turbo Kid. He's the main villain. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. I'm going, oh, that would make total sense that this would that would that Turbo, Turbo Kid used yeah used this as a reference yeah. probably. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the person who made Turbo Kid watched this at some point. Which is a great movie, by the way, Turbo it, Kid. It really is. I saw that with you a few years ago. Yeah, so uh, highly recommend you check that out. Back to hardware. <laughs> so Jill wakes up kind of in the middle of the night from a nightmare and you know decides, like, okay, I can't go back to sleep. So she puts on the TV. And did you notice that the newscaster on the TV that, that you see talking, do you know where he's from? No, please tell me. He's from Nightbreed. Uh, oh. he's, he's the dad that, that, that Decker kills like at that, in that throwaway scene. Remember, he slits his throat on the, yeah. on the chair? Yeah. And I also know him from a deleted scene in Aliens. He was basically oh. like uh, the head of the, the people who were running LV-426, like on the actual planet when you saw like Newt and her brother and everything like before cool. uh, that scene that was cut. You know, you can watch on the director's cut easily, but he's the one kind of walking around and talking about how the fact that like anytime you send a request back to, you know, HQ – it you know it comes takes you know four weeks to come back to you and all the time and it's always the same request denied like that's him that's that guy right there oh that's awesome yeah I recognized him clearly because I love this movie <laughs> uh, Jill then paints the American flag on the the robot's head that we now know that is not actually the American flag but turned out to be so day and night. Ooh. day and yeah, but it, it makes more sense to be the American flag than it does to be day and night well actually to go back to um to what he was saying is is the care the 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 robot the mark 13 it's all supposed to be kali iconography that's why that blueprint schematic of him has its arms out like that and then specifically the 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 picture that shades was praying to is kali uh and then so they wanted to have basically representing life and death and then having day and night on one side and then yeah it just turned out to be but it works super well as as an american flag too yeah because everything's you know bashing the government and 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 make would to me i'm like well it's a government created uh creature so Honestly, I think it works better as the American flag. And you don't even you know what? Here's the thing. With the American flag, you don't need an explanation of what it what it's no. trying to stand for. And if it was the day and night thing, they might have had to like call out or something on yeah. it. I don't it's know. It's a little too deep for, for audiences, I guess. <laughs> for, for the hardware audiences. Yeah. <laughs> uh but she's watching Guar uh, on TV while that's yeah, happening. Yeah, <laughs> I, I noticed that. I'm like, okay, again, uh, another metal reference. Yeah. Guar badass um you know, cosplaying horrific metal band. Mm-hmm. And then Moses wakes up, and they kind of talk like about this like population control bill and everything, and talk about what's going on and whatnot. And you kind of get a sense that you know the sex is what keeps them around, but they don't kind of see eye to eye on a lot of different stuff. Uh, and then Alvy calls Jill's place, which I thought that was a little weird that Alvy would know. You know that well, he, I'm, you know Moses mentions that he's going there, but there was no idea that he would even have. Jill's number. They're all hanging out. It's like a sitcom. Yeah, it is like a sitcom. <laughs> Truthfully. Actually, it is. <laughs> um, and so he he says... Uh he says he wants them to come over and uh, talk to him about the, the Mark 13. You know, of course, you know, uh, Moses like, the what? The head, the head that you found, you know. So he's like, okay, so he's got to go check that out. Um, we cut back to Alvy's place, and he's still doing research on the, Mar- uh, the Mark 13, and we find out that water can hurt it because of the, like, the insulation is yes. faulty, essentially. Um, 
So then we cut back to Jill's apartment, and he's reading the Bible while Jill's laying in bed, and he comes across uh, Mark chapter 13 in the Bible, and that's where he reads, uh, no flesh shall be, sp- shall be spared. Yeah, just random. You just know, random. He's reading the Bible. Yeah. It's what one does after they are finished boffing their girlfriend. Of course. Of course. Well, that's, apparently that's what uh, Dylan Dog McDermott <laughs> would do back in the day. Uh, and the Moses leaves the apartment, and uh, but then, you know, the stalker guy sees that Moses is leaving the apartment, too, and he, well, and he watches Jill. So. Yeah, he, what is, something about uh, giving her the Hershey Highway or something. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> this character is so gross. Yeah. He's so gross. Yeah, I know, right? Especially, yeah, he's especially that fucking like herpy mark or whatever the yeah, hell that was. It's just a, you know? he's such a foul character. I get, I get that this is post post apocalyptic. Yeah, and, uh, you know, everybody's the dredges of the dredge. It's good on the director for making such a gross, disturbing freak. Huh. And good job for Porkins for for playing it. Yeah, <laughs> playing yeah. it so well for sure. Uh, all right, so now at this point, Jill wakes up, and uh, she kind of gets up. She's walking around her, her little studio, but she's kind of, you know, freely walking around, noodily walking around until she sees the red light on the Venetian blinds indicating his night vision. Yes. So, you know, I get it. I, I don't think that's how night vision works where it actually creates a red light, but I get it. They wanted you to have an idea of what, like, what she was looking her. at. Yeah. yeah. And so she kind of like, you know, puts her clothes on because she, she knows that he's watching now. And then he calls her on the, the video phone, but he hides his face and he starts making like, you know, that's when he says the Hershey Highway. Yes, it was, that's was your right. boyfriend not taking you to the Hershey Highway and all this. Everything lewd that you can possibly fucking say, he says it. And, uh, and at this point, <clears throat> she goes back to bed. And the the Mark Thirteen starts to to build itself. Yep, like the Reanimator. Like the Reanimator. We we're, we're going to do Reanimator for oh, sure. Oh, we're definitely going to do Reanimator. But it actually had that vibe to it towards the end of Reanimator, uh, the, the final third act or whatever. There, the way the kind of the tubes are coming together and all the pieces are you know being sucked up. Kind of like uh, like intestines in, yeah, I know what you're talking about, in Reanimator. And in here, it was like tubes, like the tubes themselves actually make connections and do yeah. movement on their own, yeah. which, yeah, it's kind of weird to see, but it's also, that that's the point. It's supposed to be jarring and unnerving. Yeah. Um, I did notice that this was like 42 minutes in, and I and I was like, okay, finally we're getting to like the the... The creepiness factor. Yeah, it's like a lot of setup. A yeah. lot of setup in this movie. Which, dude, I'm I'm telling you, man, I am a big fan of world building. I love world building, especially if it's a world that I enjoy, like okay. a post-apocalyptic one. Yeah, this movie could have never turned into a, a monster movie, <laughs> and I could have enjoyed it as a drama in a post-apocalyptic world. Sure, this is buddy. <laughs> I'm I'm leaning full in on my you love for this so one. So leaning. <laughs> I just I, like I I appreciate world building too. Maybe I don't know. On a bigger budget, it would have been more fulfilling to me, potentially. I, can, I don't think we asked this earlier, but how many times have you seen this? Like, I, This is only my second time okay. seeing it. All right. I don't know how I would feel if I hadn't seen this at all or if I hadn't seen it since 1991 or two. But I've seen this movie probably once every few years. Oh, well, everything you've said up to this point makes total sense to me. And everything you've said to this point makes total sense to me too. Like I, I get why you know you it might not connect with you. I yeah. get why you you see these things the way you see them. And I know we're both sort of leaning into our opinions, but I, I do get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I think we both I 
I think we're both making valid points, but, but, uh, <laughs> I, again, like, yeah, 42 minutes in, I was finally, my feeling was finally we're getting somewhere. Okay. The robot's getting put together. Yeah. Shit's about to go down, hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. All right. So now we're, we're back at Alvy's shop and we know that Mo is on his way over there and, Alvy is still doing like his research into what this creature, I keep saying creature, it does behave like a creature, but what this robot is, uh, and they do establish early on too that it's an artificial life form as well, so I guess it has some level of sentience to it. Although they don't lean too hard into that. They don't, but I I mean, I was gathering that it it was more than just a robot. Right. Um, And so it's... what what the way they're presenting the information, Alvi is a voice is basically talking off the computer. So he's not just reading it on the screen. So a voice is talking off the computer. So now we can as as the viewer, we can see Alvi do stuff and still hear what he's hearing. And the voice, which is reading about the Mark thirteen, talks about its neurotoxin and how it has this like specific neurotoxin that while it kills you pretty quickly, it also makes you happy. So that's a nice thing, right? You get to be happy while you die yeah, and slice your arm up a little bit. It's putting someone to sleep. Yeah, you know, nothing wrong with that. This is population control. Why does it have to be bad? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Moses, come, basically Moses comes and finds Alvy dead. Uh, he hears the recording of, of what is saying, but then Alvy starts talking over the recording because one of that hand that hand comes to life and it has needles on it and it basically kills alvi yeah and you know moses is like oh shit you know uh what happened here you know he's listening to what's going on he's kind of piecing it all you know together so he calls you know shades but at this point we know because of the scene prior when he was meditating or doing whatever he takes acid so he's tripping balls right now yeah and he's doing the whole ball tripping scenario yeah he is my heart is like an alligator you know he's and you can tell that the actor knows what tripping ball looks like because he's touching his face and everything yeah i was like okay he's been there done that bought the t-shirt yeah and then i I, that was the first of all that's what stood out to me that he's tripping balls second i thought oh totally forgetting where this movie went direction wise uh i thought oh shades is going to be the first one or the next one to be killed because he's because they always kill the the stoner in in every movie you know thinking oh the robot's going to find some way to get to him now not knowing that it would go in a different direction. Right. I totally forgot about so many key moments in this movie. <laughs> One being the pervert. Uh, and two, you know, the, 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 where the stoner goes, where Shade goes with this. Yeah, it's, they do some things that are different that you don't really expect to happen. And I, I like that. And I, you know, we'll get to what happens to Moses later. I think that the, these all go into the pot, the stew of what makes me love this movie. It's all the little parts. I think these all these little interesting choices that the actors and the director took and made I, is what makes me love this movie. Um, so, yeah, things are starting to ramp up. Uh, we're back at Jill's apartment, and we get this really creepy shot of Jill's, like, waking up, and the Mark 13 is kind of behind her, but she doesn't know it. And she's looking in, in the TV screen that's across from her, yeah. and she sees its red eyes but doesn't really put it together, and she changes channels and, or turns it off, and you can still see the red eyes. And she's like, oh, shit. And then she dives out of the way right when, he, when it attacks. Yeah. And just treads just goes crazy and shreds the shit out of out of her bed and everything i thought that was a cool ass scene but now that he's kind of rebuilt and we've we've all we've seen that 
my biggest problem I have with this movie is where did his body come from? Did he put all those pieces together from her junk, essentially? Yeah, because <laughs> I was thinking about that, too, that he... It's not he's not just made out of milk cartons and uh, you know tubes. I mean, it helps that she's a, a metal artist. Yeah, she's a metal artist. And, and oh, and uh, Dylan Dermot Dog jumped dumped a bunch of wires too. So I I think it's all part of parts of, of that of it, you know. But it does a good job of putting itself back together. There's I, a lot of wires to be pulled out though. Yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of wire pulling in this movie. Yeah, and and yet the power never goes out or you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so Jill grabs her blowtorch, and like, you're right. Another aspect of the movie that I didn't love is that the apartment is not that big for this thing to hide in. But yeah. they do throw the conceit that you know he he can hide. It can hide even though it's like a uh, it only has a kitchen and a bathroom and uh, the the bed the main area essentially. Yeah. Uh, she she lives in the the main area, the living room area. So there's not a lot of space for him to hide. Yeah, there's a couple shots where you kind of almost get a full reveal of what the whole place looks like, and I'm thinking. This is re- this is really treading on loose water right now, like you know shallow water. If you yeah, will, that it's hard for him to find a place to hide, and and I'm thinking, shouldn't she be getting out at this point? And so the interesting thing is, that's two conceits that the movie's asking you back to back at the 40 minute mark. One that the creature can rebuild itself, you know, just from its head, you know, just from like wires, and it can can remote control its hands. Okay, you got to buy that, and then they throw in the conceit that it's also it's like a ninja and yeah. can hide and yeah. everything. Well, he's a Mark 13. Yeah, he had 12 chances to figure it out. Yes. Uh, so, but um, because of what it was doing to kind of draw power and everything, uh, it, it the doors are locked in there. So she's kind of like trapped inside of the place. Um, but at the same time, the stalker guy comes and the door opens for him. And he walks right in. Right when she's about to leave the door, door opens. He's there. He walks in. Door closes behind. And now they're both trapped there. I don't know why the door let him in at the same time. You know, like why? And then it won't open back up again. But again, another conceit. Yeah. A third conceit. They're, they stack them up hard right around this mark. Very conceited at this point. <laughs> yeah, good one. I like that. <laughs> Uh, but even even I like as a fan of the movie, I was like, okay, th- these are a couple hits that I'm that the movie's taking for me. I'm like, okay, all right. But I get that you had to get him in there. I get I get what they're trying to do and everything. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, even as a kid, I didn't really buy that the creature could rebuild itself or the Mark Thirteen could rebuild itself from all the pieces that she had there. That was a hard one for me to swallow. Yeah, this is at this point, I was like. Not swallowing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Is this where you stop taking notes? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Don't worry, buddy. I have like four more pages of notes to go through, so it's all no, good. I got, I got everything. I, I got plenty, but we're getting there. I, well, uh, that that character, uh, the perv, pr- was providing valuable info, right, at that point on how to get out. Right. House. And you find out he is by trade and actually, actually like a security person. He installed all the security protocols for these buildings. Uh, so he knows like how to like to work the mainframe and everything, but he's talking to her and he's just like giving out just these creepy vibes and he doesn't even hold back. He's just full on. Like if he knew, he doesn't even hide who he is. He's like, I, I know things about you. Even you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's straight up like jumps right in with his perviness. 
And yeah. I'm wondering, I'm like, okay, dude, if if you know all this security stuff, then why haven't you been in her house then, in the first place? Yeah, I guess, like, you know, he, well, I guess because he knows Mo just left and he kind of just got the balls to come over. But yeah, this is, you get the sense that this is the first time he's ever been over, aside from the time that he installed uh, the security system at her yes. place. She said, he tells her that. Um, but so he's been having the obsession with her since then, clearly. Um, but he does know how to fix it, so he's he's willing to go and help her open the door. And as he walks over to the mainframe, where you know her basically her terminal, her main computer for the entire house that runs everything, he sings like this weird song. Did you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I was gonna write it down, and then I just decided not to. Uh, this is I think oh his name's Link. Yes, his name's like, his name's Link. Call me Link. Yeah, call me Link. And uh, and yeah, he starts doing this weird random like children's fable sounding type tune with the the wibbly wobbly eyes and yeah Yeah, it's really gross and he's gross and the song is gross and he sings it gross but as an actor he does a great job he does a great job but the character's gross so gross it's so gross and then he goes i made that one up myself or something like that yeah and and i'm thinking oh well that's an interesting choice because it's really gross disturbing this is okay why are why are you not dead yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's about to be. Yeah. So he he goes over to the blinds because he he you know uh, he opens the door. He does his thing uh, on the computer and he goes over to the blinds. He's like, "Oh, why do you have these closed?" And she's like, "I didn't close them." He's like, "You don't you know I want them open." He's like, totally open about the fact that he wants her blinds open so he can look at her. Like he's not even trying to hide who he is. And she realizes that she didn't close the blinds, and right when he opens the blinds, the Mark 13 staring right at him and kills the shit out of him. Oh, it's great. It's a yeah. great gore scene. He gets the needles in the neck, he gets his eyeballs popped out by the, the blades, and then he gets drilled in the stomach out his back with the drill penis. He kills the shit out of him. Yes, he, 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 he just devours him. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it, I was very satisfied, finally, with, uh, if you're a fan of just, like, straight-up gore, not CGI, practical effects, it's a great kill scene. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I like that one. Very satisfying, especially since he was such a scumbag. Um, and I was wrong. The door still won't open. Uh, I, so what did he type on? What did he even do on the computer screen? Because I thought I thought he opened the door, you know, and, that, and then he walked over to the. It I, I thought he did too. Yeah, it, it was very loose. And I think at that point, had the robot started pulling cords out of the security. Oh, that's yeah. When it was going crazy on him and everything. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going like, okay, so can right. you open the door? Or can you not open the yeah. door? Yeah, the the door becomes a bit of a MacGuffin, I'd say. <laughs> it's then, very conceited. Yeah. And then we cut to the security cards. Uh, Chief and Vernon are playing chess. And I took this scene as just a reminder that they exist because, you know, they're going to die later. And we want to know that they exist. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> I actually like them. They're playing chess or something, right? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're playing chess. And... Um, so Vernon loses, and Chief says uh, the reason he lost was because um, he beat him with a certain way of beating him, and, and by doing that, what he did was sacrifice uh, something. The point is, he goes, this is the technique that you use to uh, beat the AI when you're playing chess against the AI because yes. the AI doesn't sort of understand sacrifice. Yes. So that just kind of is an allusion to later and all that kind of stuff. I think Mo, Mo being the sacrifice so that she could live. Yes. Type of thing. Vernon or chief being the sacrifice. (laughs) 
someone else can live. <laughs> Whether he likes it or not. Whether he likes it or not. Oh, chief. My God. <laughs> you got a bad death His, coming. But he had a great scene. Great character. Honestly, chief's death was the reason I, I watched the movie. It was that picture in Fangoria. Oh, yeah. That was the reason I even went out to watch Hardware was for chief's death. And it didn't let me down. But we'll get to that in one second. Um and then basically it chases Jill into the kitchen area and she sees its eye and then she knows that it's infrared, basically. And she goes into the fridge. So she's smart. She knows what's going on. Yeah, it was a cool I wouldn't scene. Have, I wouldn't have put that together if I saw its red eye to know that it was, you know, it sees an infrared. I wouldn't but, either. But then again, we're not growing up in a post-apocalyptic world. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then Moses and Shades are kind of like converging on to uh, the apartment at the same time. Um, you know, Shades didn't fall asleep. He kind of got his shit together, although you can assume for the rest of the movie, he's tripping balls still or coming off of the worst trip of his life yeah. because this is terrible for him. Yeah, he's still a mess. He's still a mess. But they're converging on the apartment. Uh, Shades rings the doorbell and distracting the Mark 13. Uh, Jill attacks the Mark 13 with a saw. And, uh, and that's when she almost gets like killed by its drill penis. And apparently when they were shooting this scene – uh, it was only Jill, uh, Richard Stanley, the cinematographer, and someone working the machine because the crew had a problem with the potential rape of it, uh, of how it was. They didn't like that it was rapey. Okay. And But the actress, even Jill, was like, yeah, but no, but like you don't understand. Like I'm going to fucking destroy that penis later. Like She yeah. breaks it off with a bat. So she's like – and she was even like, like, I'm super feminist, and I was – like on board for this. Like this was like a power empowering moment for my character. I mean, yeah, she was going to get raped, but she didn't. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm thinking of other horror film. I, so this was worse than uh evil in evil dead when the tree, uh, it was worse the, in evil dead than this, right? Yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that was worse. And that when people were like, Oh, that's a great scene. This is very tame actually. Like he didn't even get anywhere close to her. And the fact that, I don't know, People need to lighten up, <laughs> dude. Honestly, even as a kid, I didn't even put the two and two together. That was a like some kind of phallic, you know, thing. I, I put it together watching it this time. Yeah, but it wasn't that big of a deal. No, I, did, I didn't things? think so. No. I didn't think so. And I, and I took it more. I mean, I took it really like isn't I? I don't know how to say this. There was no intent to rape. It was. It's just a machine trying to kill. It's. It's a. It's a. It, the whole point of that machine is population control, right? So who? So it's. Of course, it's going to have these weird, gross devices on it. Yeah, this movie's wild. <laughs> I mean, I like the. I like the robot. I like. I like the robot a lot. I thought it was really cool looking. I liked how they went with something that it just did not look like there could be a human in there and it looks like just a bunch of pistons and things moving all akimbo and just not human and yeah. i like that it made it really weird looking yeah. i like the robot too yeah even though you never get to sort of see it and it's all its glory with its legs and everything because the entire time it's basically in half having to crawl around on the floor yeah and so. that's probably budgetary constraints too but there were like two special effects makeup people on this or two teams uh, making you think that there's a lot of special effects, but there really wasn't if you think about it. Um, and this this whole sequence when she's like getting ready to get down and dirty and destroy this thing, 
it felt like a really surreal music video at this point because the <laughs> well, music changed. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because the studio and, and his background is music videos. <coughs> Excuse me, I almost died. Uh, he does have like a music video background and so does the uh, the producer and everything. So Yeah, that's like, obvious. Yeah, so she survives. She gets away from the drill bit penis by spraying it in the eyes with spray paint, uh, you know, blinding it a little bit and kind of gets away from it. And then, you know, because he was like overloading everything in the apartment. So yeah. everything in the kitchen is kind of like smoldering a little bit. Like the toaster has too much power going on. So everything's kind of like melting down or something like that. It, they were trying. They were trying for stuff. They were trying and really hard. It was like pushing make it hell. all the buttons at once yeah. just to kind of pop everything. And I, yeah. and that's cool. The execution didn't really come across that great in my opinion but I, the effort was there right and and during all of this chaos um basically somehow like a gas line gets open yeah so she uses a little torch thing to blow up the kitchen and you know that kind of get, gets her away from, from the creature. And just as she does, the door opens up. And who do we see but everyone coming to her rescue? Because everyone there has penises, and she's the only viable vagina in the whole area. So it's, everyone is just pounding down her door. Dude, seriously, there is, like, a lot of this, like, sexual desire is more of an undercurrent than just, like, sexuality. It's, like, desire. Yeah, you, you breaking it down like that, it makes total sense. Yeah. It, it, and there's probably a huge metaphor in there. But is this before the neighbor downstairs is banging her uh, her broom's handle? <laughs> no, that was that was earlier when Jill got up in the middle of the night to kind of work on But her. she does it again. Yeah, yeah. And yes, when, like, when the guy's getting killed, she's banging when yes. he's, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she makes some comment like, oh, you know, they're always having sex up yeah. there or something. yeah. <laughs> And uh, but it's a cool shot because everyone's there. Shades, Mo, Vernon, and Chief. Uh, and then she's standing there. Looks like she's you know like oh my god. And then get down. So the Mark 13's right behind her, and they shoot the shit out of it. And Moses shoots it out the window. And it's like oh man, this is it. You know this is the the big climax, the, the big shootout, the big rescue moment. You think everything's fine. Although Shades is having a hard time dealing with all of this. <laughs> is that when he says you can't fuck with Mo? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> and this is not this is not apply the practical rule of how many bullets are in a in a gun. No, no, no. This, this is just keep full going on. Yeah, just going. keep going and, and everything. Going. And so you know, they, he shoots it out the window, and then they kind of you know do the whole like slump over the window and and feeling. That you know everything's safe, everything's fine, and they have the little uh, um, back and forth. Uh, Mo and Jill they talk about. Mo kind of mentions that he's not in the military anymore, so he does say that he was kicked out, and she kind of puts it together that this is the population control that they were talking about the bill. This this is it, and it's going to be enacted. They tell you earlier on, but it's going to be enacted on uh, January first after New Year's. Is this population control? So basically, I guess if you don't register, they said you got to be you got to register, and if you don't register, this thing just comes to your house and kills you. That's my takeaway. <laughs> yeah. You just get murdered. Yeah, murder balled. And it's interesting because at this point. Uh, cliche wise you would think that she'd be super happy to see him but she's pissed off at him for leaving her yeah. yeah and it makes total sense I get why she's upset but it is a little comedic like a little sitcom where you're like okay there's there's a lot of chaos going on right now and she's having a full on argument with him about this. <laughs> yeah they're full on relationship argument with Shades just sitting there like please can we just go to New York now <laughs> you know yeah. he's like the, like the, the kid yeah uh, <laughs> mom dad can we just go but uh so 
Lo and behold, the Mark 13 bursts through the window, grabs Jill, throws her out the window. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Mo like, goes shooting out the window. But you find that she's basically dangling on a power line. Yes. And I don't know how electricity works, but he says he can't take her hand, I guess because he's grounded, right? He's touching the ground. Oh. And if he says, like, he can't, she's like, you know, she's like, help me, help me. And he's in, she's in arm's reach. Like, he could, but he's like, baby, you're on a, a power line. I can't, if I touch you, we're both going to fry. You have to swing into the, um, underneath, the, the, the ledge underneath, the ledge, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then at the same time, the Mark 13, you know, they pull back the camera and you see that he's hanging off the same power line, but not close enough to, kill Jill but you know he, you know close enough to make a danger and kind of be in between Moses and Jill and, and everything the power line breaks and she basically gets thrown through the windows downstairs to her neighbor downstairs that was hitting with the broom and just straight up gets blasted through the window lands on the damn kitchen table or the dining room table whatever it was it was it was brutal she gets fucked up in this movie yes yeah, she does she gets more fucked up than Moses does yeah in this movie even though Moses does not come out on top <laughs> um but that was that was pretty brutal I thought um so now Moses is left to deal with the Mark 13. And uh, like I said, he does not come out on top. The, in the scuffle, the Mark 13 injects him with the neurotoxin needles. and But Moses does get like a shotgun blast. That he shoots it in the face, kind of knocks it off of him, you yeah. know? And so I guess that's why he didn't get the full brunt of the death blow from, from the, the Mark 13. He knocks it back. Yeah, he knocks it back. And then we get this kind of like... Jill is sort of like waking up from her concussion as Mo is dying and we get this very trippy um you know just uh, trippy visuals and everything kind of like what's going on in Mo's Mo's mind Mo's head he's also talking out loud you think uh about what could possibly stop the Mark 13 he's yeah. talking about rain you know he had a dream about rain earlier which is now connected to it not having it in the insulation or anything yep. or faulty insulation um but it's a real trippy like drug induced uh death which is makes sense because he's killed he's being killed by neurotoxins yeah there's even a magic eye painting in there yeah yes <laughs> yeah. weird i'm well, like well the, those are ship yeah those are um those are fractals and you can nowadays like zoom in on these fractals and they go almost infinite because of the computing power oh, cool. but back then it looked like 8-bit fractals but that's another thing that's a little bit of a magic thing it's the idea that everything gets expanded out which is your mind controls the universe because yeah. everything in uh, the I, some people even believe that the universe itself looks like if you zoomed all the way out as far as you could possibly go it would actually look like a brain um so that's the idea behind fractals and and people with magic take that as well again it's it's another magic symbolism mm. you see that a lot of that in the movies too in his background uh, in the in this movie you see a lot of like magic and occult sy uh, symbolism in there just kind of hidden here and there i think it's i truly just think it's a part of richard stanley like DNA. Oh yeah, I, I I respect the fact that he got a really great cast uh, for this film and um, and had a big distribu distributor in MGM uh, and 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 was able to maintain his uh, artistic integrity. Yeah, yeah, that is very nice, buddy. I appreciate that. Giving Richard Stanley a lot. No, <laughs> I, I I appreciate his um, him being an auteur. 
Yeah. I just, you know, it was it was like the, the when the whole gang is at the door, it felt like a Scooby-Doo moment where they're like, <laughs> but that being said, I mean, I'm giving it I'm giving it for what it is. Yeah. Again, I keep remembering thinking of Dollman where I was like, oh, Dollman was really cheesy and but there was a comedic edge to it. I don't think this was necessarily intended to be funny. Uh, I think, you know. How did on the documentary did Richard Stanley talk about tone at all? Uh, not necessarily like tone, okay. but his influences were stuff like Evil Dead um, and a lot of Dario Argento stuff because uh, he oh, I he, see that. he's from uh, South Africa and then Nairobi and then by and then up to um, I guess uh, England uh, and then he kind of he even like stayed at like a. He talked about like he would crash because he was homeless, like at a, an all night movie theater, and just watch basically, you know, Dario Argento stuff, Fulci wow. stuff, you know, all that it's kind a of cool stuff. Cool way to spend your homelessness. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't. He he makes it sound glamorous. Wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't at the time, but yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so Jill is basically she's she's ready to go basically fight this thing she's she wants to go save mo she does love mo and it's kind of galvanized her and a really weird shot of like everyone trying to stop her from going into the yeah. apartment and she hits shades in the head with the with the bat and it's this weird like aggression thing again it's this it's this weird idea that it's this mob of men that are trying to uh, that are basically telling her what's best for her and all they want to do is keep her safe and it's a very sexual thing but some of it's not like some of it's like platonic. It's almost in a way of like you just want to cherish this one flower in the middle of the shit. Like like if there's this one flower growing in the middle of a of a trash heap, you want to cherish that one flower and kind of keep it alive and kind of keep it safe. That's how all these people feel about her. But she's running back into the jaws of death. I'm sure the movie when it was written is not as deep as I'm making it. Yeah, out you're making it so deep. You're, <laughs> like you are really digging. Guys and gals, uh, fans, uh, let us know what you guys think about this movie. Am I am I off off point? Am I on point? How's it going? So she goes back up there. Her and Vernon go through the door. Vernon's one of the other security guards. Uh, Chief and Shades are, are like sort of like right behind her, like right behind them. So it's it's Jill, Vernon, Chief, and Shades, kind of like in that order, trying to go through the door. Uh, the door closes on Chief. Who it doesn't kill him instantly because he's kind of has armor like shoulder pads, which is just it's just football armor. But it reminds me of, uh, you know, Road Warrior. It reminds me of the Road Warriors from wrestling. You yeah, know? totally. It, yeah, it's just it's the it's the the football pads without the clothing on top of it. Yeah, and I think it, the, the, these these movies during this time could get away with just throwing whatever they could find at a thrift store on people, right? Because they're like, oh, it's it's set in the future when no, everyone has nothing, and this is all they would have. They just use what they've got in front of them. I can't even begin to tell you how many post-apocalyptic shitty movies that I've seen that like the bad guys are wearing like paintball masks yeah. and like the armor is either you know uh, baseball catcher shin pads or BMX chest pads and all they did was just take it you know no one fabricated anything they no. just kind of grabbed it yeah and it worked like you said because at the time you don't have the internet you can't just go and be like is that a bmx right let me go look yeah. you know it didn't you didn't have to worry about that much scrutiny i'd yeah, say yeah now you do yeah so from us <laughs> from me <laughs> from me <laughs> um and then so but it, it's hydraulic doors so of course like 
Chief is like, oh, you know, fucked up. Like his <laughs> organs are getting crushed. Uh, the door releases. He falls forward. And then the door closes again, splitting him in half at the waist yep. uh, with his hydraulic doors. Then the gun in his hand goes off because of his, you know, reflexes. He shoots Vernon in the forehead. So <laughs> right then and there, the two security guards are, are done for. And the door opens back up again. And, and a great shot of Shades, like, pulling his feet, you know, because he was trying to pull his feet out. Yeah. And then just pulling, you know, the lower half of him out and blood's getting sprayed all over him. I mean, this is the worst trip ever for Shades. <laughs> Meanwhile, Shades is the most well put together, too. Truthfully. Sty- stylistic- stylistically. So you know what that means? Do drugs. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so um, Jill, you know, oh, my God, you know, she's like, well, that sucks. She kind of moves on from Vernon and Chief pretty easily. Um, and she finds Mo dead, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm laughing because at this point I wrote, can you just hurry up and end? Yeah. So Jill basically goes and hacks into the computer. She goes and hacks into her computer, but since the Mark 13 is connected to it, she kind of hacks into its brain. Yes. It starts vomiting out the things that Mo was saying. It kind of recorded him. Like and then Predator. Yeah, like Predator a little bit. And she pieced together that water is, you know, what can, can kill you. And she's like, I know what can kill you. And she basically lures the thing over into um, the, the bathroom area. Like clean your shower, for God's sake. Yeah, sense. it was a pretty Disgusting. gross bathroom. <laughs> not not going to lie. It was, it was a gross bathroom. I mean, this was not a high-def movie, but I saw things in that bath- shower that I just don't need to see. Yeah, no, I hope she was wearing flip-flops in there when, when she goes <laughs> and takes showers. Some ringworm. She, yeah, definitely gonna have some ringworm, no, for sure. So she lures it into like the shower area, but she gets punched through the glass, which I always hated because it's like, oh god, you're gonna step on that in your feet. Well, there's so much broken glass yeah. in the scene, like way too much broken. First more, of all, more than there should be. More than there should be, and it's really thick. Yeah, because the do- the door to any shower is never that thick. <laughs> first of all, and second of all, I'm I'm thinking of. Die Hard, which was the best use of broken glass ever, in my opinion. And it's sim- like with the, the idea where her feet, there's a slow, not slow-mo, but long shots of her feet moving around in the glass. And I'm going, my God, this is like, I get it. It's painful. And it's yeah, supposed to be painful. If you're a Dario Argento fan, or maybe probably Fulci in some respects, so there's going to be these long, like, extended well, scenes. Well, there should be an extended scene of glass going into her foot, but, but we don't see that because, no. I guess, budgetary or whatever. I guess. Yeah. I'm with you. I think it was probably on paper supposed to be more violent than it kind of turned out to be. Um, but Shades kind of mans up, and the, the door's kind of doing this, like, open and close thing. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And Shades... Uh, jump through the door so he did it and he does this little karate stance He's yeah. Like, yeah he even goes Hi-ya! yeah it's great <laughs> like i love Kung it Fu master love it love the character choices that 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 actor makes love every single one of them <laughs> and uh and he comes in and he actually shoots the thing in the head with the gun doesn't kill it but then that kind of gives her enough time to to maneuver around it and beat the shit out of it with her baseball bat yeah it's the worst uh scene of using a baseball bat ever she's like so weak it's the the way she hits that thing is like eh, eh. well the funny thing is she actually broke that bat over it and because her apparently her mom died about 10 months prior to filming this so she goes i had a bunch of rage to kind of like draw from and she goes she broke the first bat and then she broke the second bat and then she goes they're like all right give me another bat and they're like oh we don't you know this, this is not that kind of a budget she's like oh so she realized that she had to kind of finish the scene with the bat but apparently 
I'm sure the the look like her looking like swinging weakly was her trying to save that bat. That but makes when she broke sense. it, that was her actually. The bat was not supposed to break. Can we just go back to the fact that they didn't have enough budget to have a bunch of bats on set? Like, I, come on! I don't think how they were expecting a, her to break a bat. Like, <laughs> I, have you broken a bat? No, I haven't. But how much is a how much is a baseball bat? <laughs> I, I, I imagine that story's probably been inflated a little bit, but at the same time, I don't think they were intending to have multiple bats broken. Well, it, you know, yeah. if you're not planning on the bat to break, I don't think, you know, you're going to... I love that this, this is the scene. This where is the what argument broke you. This is, yeah. this is good. I think it was, and it makes sense. Like, from an actor's perspective, it makes sense that she would be gentle with the bat, but I'm like, you go full on, you know? You just do this. Like, hit that thing as hard as you can with the rage... That would be cool to see. I want to see that anger. I didn't feel the anger from her in this. I felt like more just, okay, she did fall through. A, she did go through a plate glass window earlier. So granted, that that, that, that could be taken into account as well. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I had no problems with the scene. Um, and then she breaks off the drill penis. Yes. Uh, but yes. I, I don't, I didn't, my takeaway wasn't that, you know, she didn't have any force behind it. I didn't pick up on that truthfully, but I. No problem. Not like trying to like shit on you or anything. (laughs) I I don't know how to end that other than I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say between Shade's Shade's moment was was pretty classic, though. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. And then we just kind of find out through another newscaster thing, uh, news report that the the company that is producing the Mark 13. They got the government contract, uh, even though it has that defect in it. And, you know, even though no one else in the world really knows, like, what's coming, the spin is that, oh, a bunch of new jobs are now created, so everyone head on down to whatever industries, you know, wherever making is making the Mark 13, and go get your job. So, you know, it, it's a positive spin, everyone thinks. But now we as the viewer knows what's in store for people essentially who don't register themselves. Oh, yeah. It's 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 actually a great way to end the movie because it, it sets up this dark ending. Yeah. Because even though she, her and Shade survived that, doesn't mean they're going to survive uh, January 1st nope. when, when the bill sort of happens. Oh, they're all going to die? They're all dead. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was the end of the movie. And Well, they don't they cut back to the dust devil at the end? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the dust devil kind of just walks off into the dust. Or as, as Max slash Moe, Dylan, Moore Dermot, Mulroney calls him a zone tripper. A zone tripper, which was a cool name. That was kind of a neat, yeah. a neat term. He's a zone tripper. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's in, and, and as it's cutting back to that awesome music, the this is what you want. This is what you get. This is what you want. This is what you get. Dude, I find myself singing that sometimes. <laughs> I've always liked that song. It's not a bad song. Actually. No, it's kind of neat. It's yeah. kind of neat. So Zach, what did you think of Richard Stanley's Hardware? I appreciate that I could revisit a film from my childhood and have a new set of eyes on it. I didn't like this movie at all. I mean, I, I there were elements. Your your explanation of it makes me enjoy it more, and talking about it is very enjoyable. But sitting through it, it was not going to lie, it was kind of torturous. That being said, I think you should check it out anyways because I think based on what we talked about, our perspective uh, with your perspective watching it, it might have a different feeling. And I'm totally cool with that. Like if you if you love this movie like you, I know you do, Corey, uh, that's great. More power to you. It just it didn't, didn't click for me. 
I, and I love that. I think that's great as far as podcast goes. I don't love that as my friend, and now I hate you, and now we can never be friends. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, this is what you want. This we, is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, dude, when you texted me and I, I got the first inclination that you weren't like thrilled with it, I was happy. I was like, oh, good. I think this will make like an interesting conversation. Um, I don't think we're going to like every single movie that you know comes up. But like I said on, I think, the first or second podcast, like one of us said, we're never going into these movies thinking that we're going to dislike them. Yeah. But there's no harm in disliking them. No, I'm, and I th- I'm glad. Yeah, I think it was I, – I was in a way uh, – and I said this to you off uh, before we recorded – uh, I I kind of appreciated the fact that I didn't really enjoy it because it gave me like more reason. Okay, why am I watching this? Let's get a reason why. Because I know again, I know how popular this movie is with people. What is it? And I feel like I have a pretty general sense of loving all things sci-fi horror. What is it that I don't like about this? I think overall, just the pacing didn't click for me, and uh, I I would have you know the, again good to go back to Doll Man because I think I, I think that came out the same year. Um, there, the, the, that was like an 85 minute movie. This could have shaved off to me, could have shaved off 10 minutes. And if you did, I think you would have a tighter, uh, more effective film for me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and dude, I mean, we're doing this podcast because we both like these kind of movies. It doesn't mean we're going to like every movie in these genres, but I respect your dislike of this movie more than I would respect like someone who just like watches comedies and they're like, oh, I don't like this. I because I know that you can look at it through a lens of like a fan of this of this kind of movie, and you can kind of dig down and figure out like, okay, I'm not digging this. Why is it? And it's not just like a blanket. You know, you can like, okay, is it the pacing? Is it the characters? And I like that you can give it more more thought than the average, you know, not the average viewer, but like, yeah, someone who just likes you know maybe dramas and, and comedies or something. I would rather watch this movie with you and you not like it because you can tell me why you don't like it. And I like that. And I enjoy that. I met a girl once who said, uh, I said, what are your favorite movies? She goes, I like Adam Sandler movies Mm. and Forrest Gump. Mm. That was the last time I ever talked to her. Sounds about right. (laughs) 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 Nothing against any of those movies, but that's not really my cup of tea. (laughs) Come on. I like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. So do I. But I would not say that in the opening line of what are your favorite movies. Yeah, no. I like Adam Sandler movies and Forrest Gump. You're devoid of all personality if that is your go-to answer. That's your (laughs) go-to? Yeah. And I hate people. Can I side note? Yes, I hate it when people... Say their favorite movie is anything within the last five years. Yeah. I immediately judge you. Now, you can put a top five in there. That's not a problem. But if you say your favorite movie is anything within the last five years, and you're, I don't know, older than 10 years old, I will judge you. Unless, I must say, unless they say <laughs> a movie like if they say Drive is my favorite movie of all time, I'll go, oh, okay. But then that opens up the book to, have you seen blah, 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 right. blah. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but that, I totally agree with you. Yeah. You know. I love the Avengers movies and... Adam Sandler movies and Adam Sandler that are on movies. Netflix. <laughs> yes, I only love his later catalog of films. <laughs> I love Punch Drunk Love. Oh, okay. Well, that's and Forrest Gump. Oh, oh. <laughs> Another side note: I've only seen Forrest Gump once in the theater, and I had to pee halfway through it. So I hated that movie by the end because I almost pissed myself, and it was a first date. 
That's my experience with Forrest Gump. Hey, this is not the Forrest Gump podcast. This is the <laughs> hardware podcast. And guys and gals, I love this movie so, so much. Very much enjoyed it. Um, I think personally it comes from the world building. I It felt like a comic book. It. I like post-apocalyptic movies. As a kid, I was big into them right around this time. Maybe it was the time that I saw it. You know, Maybe it was the people that I saw it with, but it hit a lot of things for me. Um, even now, watching it by myself, I've, I saw it probably about, last time I saw it was probably about six, seven years ago, so I've seen it pretty recently. And I feel like it holds up, at least the things that I like about it holds up. The world building being the main thing that I just really grab onto. It's it's a it's an interesting world. It's a little different than some of the post apocalyptic stuff we've seen, and the visuals are so striking. They're just so incredibly striking. I think the cinematography did cinematographer did a great job with the budget that he you know probably had. Um, and I do want to watch Dust Devil, um, and I do think that <laughs> at some point uh, I think that all of your gripes and critiques are completely valid so I think the viewer it's just it's what do you want to lean on you know like what's going to bother you the most and everything but you know like your critiques are valid and I think it's uh you know I think you guys should give it a shot if you're leaning on the fence give it a shot I think you'll know within the first you know 15 20 minutes if, if you like it or not it kind of keeps the same vibe throughout the entire film I'd say yeah if you're a fan of low-budget sci-fi early 90s movies that um then you'll enjoy this do you remember a movie called death machine yes 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 okay all right let's talk about that offline because that just like imagery just flooded my head and i can i can still remember the poster for it yeah that that was kind of like a uh a ripoff of yeah it came out around the same time as this and it it was more of like it was like this but not as visually striking no and even though even though this has uh a predominant american cast I, I think this would almost be considered a foreign film. It had, vi- yes, because the whole crew was basically, yeah, not American, but it was funded by an American studio. Yeah, which makes sense. And that and Death Machine is, but there are a lot of movies that had this similar vibe to it um, that you could go down a list. Cy- not Cyborg. Well, yeah, maybe Cyborg. For oh, sure. and, and we're, we're going to be doing Cyborg oh, no for doubt. sure on here. I'll, I would put Cyborg above hardware as far as like my favorite non-Road Warrior post-apocalyptic movie. is. Uh, I've, I've seen Cyborg as a kid a gazillion times, yeah. more, more than I ever saw hardware. Yeah, there, uh, hardware is just it's, – it's, it's a nice small package film if, if you like small package movies small package trying to do big things mm-hmm. trying to tell a big story and maybe hindered by its budget sometimes it had a 1.5 mil budget that's not too bad it's not too bad and it ended up making more money back so it made its money back that's probably why he was able to make dust devil and he got it and it gave got him the uh, island of dr moreau job that he promptly destroyed yeah and if again i thought i know we talked about the opening if you can revisit that documentary it's worth checking out because it, it, and i'd like to check out this documentary for hardware as well yeah he's he's candid he's very candid he, he oh he's very open about stuff he's a weird dude <laughs> this is what you want this is what you get dude we got to put that in there so 
Everyone, let us know what you think of this episode and uh, Hardware the Movie. You can uh, leave a comment on the Facebook page. We have a Podcasting After Dark Facebook fan page. You can also shoot us an email if you want, podcastingafterdark uh, at gmail.com. And you know, let us know what you think, if you have any insights into the movie itself. We're doing this because we also want to get a conversation going. Now, we're still recording without being online yet, so we're kind of talking in the dark here to each other but we're hoping that by the time this comes out we want to get a conversation going we want to know what you guys think of hardware let us know you know and uh buddy where can we find you uh online and other podcasts check me out on instagram at zach schaefer z-a-k-s-h-a-f-f-e-r check me out on twitter zach schaefer v-o i'm also on the podcast two dollar late fee with dustin rubin and you can find me also in the pages of It Came From The 80s magazine. Uh, check that out on Instagram as well. All of those things are freaking awesome, dude. I'm, I'm I'm very excited with everything you're doing, dude. It's all good stuff. And, and, and again, like if there's any takeaway, if, if people are listening to me on this podcast going, whoa, he's such a dick, he hates this movie. Look, I come in this with, with like Journey says, with open arms. I want, I want to like it. Uh, I hope you respect the the uh, the criticism I gave it. And if you disagree with me, that's cool too. Like, let's go down that road. Yeah, me me too. And dude, I I didn't take it as you being a dick. I am very happy uh, that you you had a different opinion on this movie than I did. I don't want this to be a complete jerk off fest, you know, like every <laughs> like that episode. Slothy link. Yeah, you know, Gross. I want us to actually have conversations about these movies yeah. and, and what we actually like about them. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of weird because you're, you're kind of like you're also discovering things about yourself. You know, I kind of. I know that I like world building, but like once us, you know, once we start talking about the movie, I realized that was a thing that I liked about the movie. I didn't kind of put that together until our conversation started happening, and I like that. That's the whole point of doing this. I guess what you're saying is this would make a great comic book. It would make a really good comic book, and I think they could probably do more with it. Yep. I, I bet this IP is, is available. Someone should do that. Do it, please, somebody. You can find me on Instagram at Corey Nation, and you can find me on a couple podcasts. I'm on uh, a Seinfeld after show sort of podcast where me and my friend Adam are reviewing every episode of Seinfeld, and uh, it's called Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. And uh, you can find me on NSFW Gamer Podcast, which is a video game sort of new style podcast with my buddy Noah. And I'm on the occasional episode or two of The Black from our past podcast and everything there you can find on itunes and spotify we're all over the place so next week we are going to be doing terror vision so if you all are listening to this episode of the podcast and you want to uh, watch terror vision before next week's episodes we want to try to give you that option every time so next week when we do uh terrorvision we'll know what the next movie's gonna be yeah um we forgot to do that last time so we're gonna make sure moving forward that'll give you guys a chance to actually watch it and, and watch it with us basically so check it out and uh hope you enjoy the next episode guys this is what you want this is what you get Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook 
at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia.